A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by a listener in honor of Shmuley Sugar upon his 45th birthday and the recent acquisition of Quality Stairs. Uh, so thank you. And the let's start off a read a letter from a recent episode, a listener. Got a lot of letters recently, emails, whatever. I still call them letters. I'm old fashioned. Um, this is from a knowledgeable and uh, dedicated listener. So here it goes. I wanted to share a cute story, a real brisker story, to tie in the last two episodes. After Rav J. B. Solveitchik was nifter, there were hespedim given in Yerushalayim. Rav David Solveitchik Shlita. He should have a Rafushalema went as a first cousin, despite receiving a lot of pressure that he should not go. He answered back to those that he that felt he shouldn't go that his father, the Briskarov, went to the Levaya of his uncle Rameir Barilan, and he is doing the same as his father. And uh that part of the letter. So thank you, that's great. And we know that Briskers love doing things that their father did, so that's a, that's a good brisker maisa. Any case, uh, we had recently, a few days ago, the yard site of the Devei Chaim of Tzanz, and of course on our uh, trips to Poland and Galicia, Tzanz is a highlight. It's a beautiful town. In fact, um, it's one of the nicest drives. If we get to do it during the daytime, when we go down to Tzanz in deep in southern Poland, Galicia, um, if we get to do it during the day, it's absolutely a gorgeous route and beautiful scenery. It's just picturesque, and it brings us right into the atmosphere of the Dere Chaim. In fact, um, I once, I once, um, you know, you always have a couple of guys on the trips who who are very, um, you know, very uncomfortable going. You know, how can we go to this blood-soaked land? Why are we coming on this trip? And it's always funny to me. If, if you don't want to come, then just don't come. No one needs you here complaining. But, you know, you always have guys like that on the trip, which is fine. And one of those guys, once, a few years ago, he turns to me as we're driving down to Tzanz, and it's just gorgeous. It's an absolutely beautiful area. He turns to me and he says, 
Looking around this area, now I understand why Eden lived here all those years. Why did the Jews, you know, it, it's, a, it was, it's a nice country, it's a nice place. And he never imagined that he would actually say that. So that's Sanz. Now, it's, the Polish name of the town is Novi Sats. And for some reason, the Jews all call it Sanz. So where in the world did Novi Sats get the Sanz? So Novi means new. So we can imagine that they dropped the new part. You know, traditional Jews don't like anything new, and especially the Divrei Chaim of Tzans, who was a big fighter against modernity, which is something we'll talk about in this episode. So the Novi we took care of. So we still need to figure out how Tzans, with a S or a Sin, became Tzans, with a Tzadi. So Hasidic lore has it that the Divrei Chaim's Rebbe, Raftali of Rapshitz, the Rapshitzer, when he approved of of him going down to um, to Tzans, he said, this is a city that does not have a Tzadik, so we'll send you, who are, who's a Tzadik, down to Tzans, and, um, and this way it'll have a Tzadi, a Tzadik added to the name. It's a legend. I'm not sure if even he if, if he even was the Rav of of uh, of Tzans when the ruptures were still alive. I have to double check the dates. You know, he was a Rav in Rudnik and other places for a while. But either way, it's it's um they definitely they definitely said it with Tzadi. He was I think he was even Makbid that his Hasidim do that. Now he becomes the Devi becomes very quickly the most well known, most popular, and most beloved. And uh, an important uh, tzaddik and paisik and rabbi um, in Galicia. He's he's the master to a certain extent of Galicia. It's he's a, a student mainly of the Rapshitzer, but he also had a, an affiliation with the Sar Shalom of Bells, with Rabbi Hirsch of Zidichov, which were all the major Galician or Hasidus. And he takes it all together and wraps it up, um, and he he becomes he defines to a certain extent the Hasidus in Galicia, in that area of Poland. You know, after, to keep in mind, 1815, um, a very important event happened in Eastern Europe, and that was the uh, Congress of Vienna. Congress of Vienna was not in Eastern Europe, but it was about the future borders of Eastern Europe. And that, that Congress defined the borders following the Napoleonic Wars between Tsarist Russia and their areas of influence, and the Habsburg Empire of um, of the Austri- what eventually became Austria-Hungary, much later on in 1867, and um, and defined those borders. And the area of southern Poland, Galicia, became under the Habsburgs, became part of Austria, whereas northern Poland, which came to be called Congress Poland because it was decided upon at the Congress of Vienna, so it's the Congress area of Poland was annexed to Tsarist Russia. And that influences Jewish life in these areas. That's the reason I'm emphasizing it, because the the uh, the Jewish life under the Habsburgs was very different than Jewish life under the Tsars, under the Romanovs. And the Habsburgs become a modern empire, and they become a liberal empire, and they give equal rights eventually, and, and emancipation to the Jewish population. And these are all strong signs of modernity, much stronger signs than the Haskalah themselves could ever imagine giving. And 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 this 
becomes a defining feature of Galitzia Hasidus, and especially of the personality of the Devar Chaim of Tzanz, who was a very strong personality, very fiery, a fighter by nature, um, a very strong person and, uh, by nature, and he was there during this decisive time to fight the battles against modernity, which was he, what he, one of the main things that he came to be known for. And that's a little bit about Galicia Hasidus. Now, he, in his personal life, he was married four times. His uh, wives died. He did not get divorced. They, um, his first and third wives, um, you know, they're the ones who were, uh, mothered his children. He had 15 children. And um, all, all of them, his children, grandchildren, and all his descendants became both rabbis and rebbes. He, he insisted that his, um, like himself, he was all the rabbi of Tzanz. He was not just the Tzanz a rebbe. He wasn't just a Hasidic rebbe with a court. He was the rabbi. He was a tremendous Paisik, a huge Talmud Chacham, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, Talmud Chacham and Paisik in Galicia at the time. And he had un- his res- the respect and awe that people had for him and other Rabbanim at the time, the Shiloh Meshiv, Natanzon, who wasn't even uh, Hasidish, was, you know, spoke with him in the highest uh, terms and of respect, and uh, he enjoyed immense popularity, literally across the boards. There was, um, people had, you know, a certain offer him, because he was, you know, a certain combination that was not commonly found. He was a Rav, a Paisik, a huge um, Talmud Chacham and scholar, as well as being a very influential Hasidic Rebbe. And, and in his personal bearing, he had a certain simplicity to him, a certain righteousness. He was very, very charitable to an extreme, the way he gave tzedakah to people, the way he cared and was a father to his Hasidim. And he was a fighter at the same time. It was not a contradiction. He was a a, a very fatherly and warm on the inside and very uh, strong and and fighting and very you know very uh, impressive leadership um, took a strong stand on things and initiative on the outside. Now, like I said, he has so he had fifteen children and the descendants all became rabbis and rebbes. So by the time the war breaks out, uh, about a half a, half a century after the Divrei is passing, you can say that there are literally hundreds of towns in Galicia and Hungary. His influence was very much felt, maybe even more than in Galicia was in Hungary. And, um, but many of the hundreds, hundreds of towns had communal rabbis or Hasidic rabbis or a combination of both who were literally descendants of the Derechaim. So his influence was vast and immense. Um, so much so, as you think about his 15 children, his two youngest sons, Lived long enough. Reb Shalom Lazer of Retzfert in in Hungary and Reb Yitzchak of Chichov in Galicia lived long enough to be killed by the Nazis. They were still around when the war break broke out, and you know just had Yom Hashoah today in Israel. So the the uh, talk about people who were killed during that time, and these two great rebbes who were children, literally you're talking about at a time when there's already grandchildren and great grandchildren of the Derichaim who are officiating as rabbis in different towns, and there's actually two sons of his who are still around at this time. Rav Shalom Lazer was a very, very famous and popular rabbi and rebbe, and he um, he would come back from Hungary to Tzanz by his father's yard site every year, so he, his influence was felt back in Galicia as well. And um, and um, in fact, when he when the Divrei Chaim was... Um, 
about to get married for the fourth time, and he was already quite old. So there were those who tried to, they thought it was, maybe it was inappropriate, you know, a little funny that the Rebbe is doing that. So they, you know, implored the oldest son of the Devechaim, the Shinever, Rebbe Cheskel of Shinev, to, to try to influence his father not to marry a fourth time. So the Shinever comes to his father and he says, and he says to him, you know, you have a Mechutin, the fourth son of, of the Devechaim, married um, Reb Luzer of Jikov's daughter. Reb Luzer of Jikov was the son of the Rapshitzer. In other words, his own Rebbe's son became his Mechutin and the Galicia Hasidis became all one big happy family. So the Roshinavah says, your Mechutin, the Jikover, he did not get married after his wife passed on because he said he's married to the Tyra. So maybe that's an idea that you can you can also, you know, do, also, you know, apply that to your own life. So the, his father turns to him and he says, the Jikov has said that now that his his uh, his wife died, his, he's married to the Torah. He says, oh, so he said, he, I guess he got that Shidduch. So he's married to the Torah. So since that Shidduch is taken, I guess I'll have to get married, which he did. The story is also ironic in the fact that the Shinnever himself was married five times, and he's here trying to influence his father, but that's how things go. In fact, the Shinever, once we mentioned him, say, so the Divrei Chaim had a very big influence in Eretz Yisrael, the Hasidim living in Eretz Yisrael also, and, the, and he sent his son, the, the great Reb Chaskal of Shinev, to visit Eretz Yisrael in, I think, 1869, and the Tzans Shtibel and Tzfas, if you the tours I do of, the, of Tzfas, of the cemetery and of the old... The old uh, the old city where the old shuls are. So one of the old shuls in Sfas is the original Tzanza Shtibel, and it has a sign there that this was founded by the Shinavaruv who came under his father's direction of the Derechaim in this and this year. And, uh, and, and what's interesting is, is that he's one of the only Rebbes. You know, they had the, a few Rebbes who came in the original Aliyah of the Hasidim Tarit in 1777, Rebbe Avram Kalisker and the And even earlier, he had Rebbe Nachman of Haradenka. He had a couple of other isolated Rebbes, Basayin, other isolated Rebbes who, who came at different times, but a prominent Rebbe to visit Eretz Yisrael almost didn't exist in the 19th century. In the 20th century, it started again, the trend you had. The Imrayamas came a bunch of times, and other Rebbes, Mechazelazer, a bunch of others, and some even moved and settled there. But in the 19th century, it almost didn't exist. So the visit of the Shinavaru to Eretz Yisrael was a major event in the history of Hasidus. So the Dere Chaim is a unique combination because, like I said, he's a Paisik, he's a Talmud Chacham, a Lamdan, he's the rabbi of the town. In fact, when we go to Tzanz, it's always a highlight of our trip because the Achanasus Archim there has great food and it's very nice, very welcoming. They redid the oil of the Tzanzer in, in the cemetery there. It's very well kept. It's one of the most beautiful mikvahs in the world. Um, literally, <laughs> and I, I, I've, I haven't gone in, but my, the guys from my groups always come out, and they're like, wow, that was a beautiful mikvah. And, and they, what they also have is that further up in the town, up on the hill, they have the great synagogue, the Beis Knesset HaGadol, the main central shul of the town of Tzatz. Now, again, the, the Rechaim is wearing a f- different hats. He's the, the Tzatzer Rebbe, and there he has his own shtibel, where he davens with the Hasidim, and the davening is a real Hasidish davening, with a lot of his slavos. It's very exciting, it's very, 
It's a very special type of a davening. And then he's also the rabbi of the town, and the town has their community shul for hundreds of years. And he would daven in the central shul only occasionally. And, to, and today, the the descendant of the uh, of the Divrei who runs the Hachnas Azarachim and and run and runs the shul there and everything, who to, who um, who takes care of it, he has a sign up in this uh, community shul, big beautiful shul, pillars, you know, nice big shul. And he has a sign there saying the exact times that the Divrei Chaim come, came to Davan. He came to Davan in Shabbos HaGadol when he gave his drasha, and he came to Davan at specific times during the year where he would also speak from the pulpit to the to the to the community as as the rabbi of the community, not not as the Tanzer Rebbe. So you have that that uh, they know that that uh, that uh, expresses itself right there. Um, he had a simplicity to him. He was a Tsanua. He was. Simple in his ways, no shtick, no fanciness. He didn't have anything fancy or any riches about him. He gave everything away to Tzedakah. His a tremendous influence on simplicity and Tzedakah, and, and literally, his charitable efforts literally knew no borders, no boundaries. In fact, his son, another famous son of his, Baruch Garlitz, um, once came to his father and said, You know, my daughter needs to get married. Can you help me out with uh, funding the wedding? And his father said, like he originally tried help, you know, raising money for him, and then he gave it away, he gave that money away to some other person, some other chassid of the Divrei Chaim, who came and asked him for help and assistance to marry off his daughter. And he gives, simply gives away all the money that was supposed to be for his son, and instead he gives it to this chassid. And Nebarachal is, is shocked. How can you do that? And he said, listen, you're the son of the Divrei Chaim. You're the Tzanzarov's son. You're famous. Anywhere you can go, people will try to help you out. So you have another way out. He said, this guy, if I don't take care of him, who will? He has nowhere else to turn to. So I had to help him. So you can figure it out. And that's, and that's the way he, he was, um, even with his son. A, an interesting combination of the Halacha and the Hasidus was the Divrei Chaim's psak that he gave, and that as far as I know is still kept by the uh, the uh, the Tzanzer offshoots till today in Babov and other places, is that he said that um, the he the, you know, the Hasidim they um, they stopped putting on tefillin on Cholamite from the time of the Baal Shem Tov already, Kabbalistic reasons, even though most people put it on tefillin during on Cholamite, but uh, but 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 Hasidim stopped this custom. So the Devei Chaim once walked into the shul, into the shtibel, and he saw that the Bachram, the young guys, the young Hasidim, were schmoozing, were talking during davening and Chalamayit. And he realized it was because they weren't wearing tefillin, because if they would wear tefillin, they wouldn't dare say a word during davening. So he said, ah, so the Hasidic customs, they, in, they enable you to talk during davening? It's better to wear tefillin. So he said, all Bachrim, all young boys have to wear tefillin on Cholomite. And, uh, and you can only stop wearing tefillin when you're ready to get into a Hasidic mode, when you're mature enough. He said that he believed that you don't study Hasidic Sfarim until you reach the age of 18. And, and if you only study Hasidic Sfarim from the, until then, you have to be learning Gemara and Halacha. So when you're ready to reach the age of, when you reach the age of 18, you're ready to study Hasidic Svarim, you're also mature enough to have the privilege of not wearing tefillin on Cholomayit. But until then, you have to wear tefillin. And as far as I know, 
Uh, they don't wear tefillin until the age of 18, till today. Um, now, the main aspect of his leadership was his fight against uh, modernity, or we'll say it in a positive way, his fight for tradition. Um, at that time, like I said, the Habsburg Empire's emancipation is also Haskalah. The, the uh, Haskalah influences in Galicia were very strongly felt, and he fought it as a war. He, 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 he felt that, that the walls of tradition need to be strengthened, and he was very suspicious of any changes, of any moves, and he was nervous about what the government's uh, progression and emancipation would do, and it would change Jewish life. Now, Tzanz is a big town. There's a lot of Jews who live in the town. There was a lot of secular Jews even in the town itself. It wasn't just in the greater Galicia context. You know, that um, the, a generation, two generations later, um, the, the, uh, the extreme left Poaletzion Smol, the leftist of the Paul Etzion, um was active in the town. People like the two famous historians, Rafael Mailer um, and, and Emanuel Ringelblum, lived in the town for a period of time at the beginning of the 20th century. So you're talking about it's a place where it's not only Tzanzich Hasidim, and the Devei Chaim knew exactly what he was doing when he was suspicious of the modern trends. And this brought him to even fight the, the war against modernity within Hasidus when he suspected that, that there was those within Hasidus that, um, that might be influenced, um, and, and, uh, uh, by modernity. And, uh, and this brings us to one of the most tragic and, uh, and, uh, you know, unfortunate stories in the annals of, uh, of the Hasidic movement, which was the war that he waged against the Hasidim of Sadiger. In 1869, he opened up the battle against them, and there were cherubs back and forth, and this had to do with the catalyst for it. it wasn't the, re- the reason was modernity, and the fear of what modernity meant, and he felt that the riches of the Rizhen Sadiger courts were influenced by the modern times, and without getting too much into the Machlaikas, but the catalyst for it was an unfortunate story that one of the sons of Rabbi Stroll of Rizhen, Rabbeinu Friedman, was um, he simply was not interested in being a rebbe, and he kind of you know, was in a bad marriage, a sad and tragic personal story. And when people speak about it, if they ever speak about it, it's usually not spoken about at all. But when people do speak about it, they often overlook the the human tragedy that went on in in, in Bernie's personal life and and uh, his marriage, and and a very sad, a very you know tragic uh, story. And he left his Hasidim. He left uh, the Hasidic world altogether for a period of time, and then he came back to Sadiger, and he lived by his brother, Ram Yaakov Sadiger, a whole story of the travails and ups and downs and a real roller coaster ride in Bernie's life. But when he left his Hasidim, and when he left the Hasidic way of life, so the Divrei Chaim said, you see, look what's going on in Sadiger, this is not good, we need to even fight within Hasidus. It's not just enough to fight against the outside. We need to even make sure that everyone understands that modernity is puzzle and it's treif, even in its uh, most minor expression. That went on for a bunch of years until the Devei Chaim died, and uh, a very, very sad uh, chapter, but, um, but that, was, uh, that was also part of his overall and general fight uh, in modernity. I'd like to end off um, this little bit about the Divrei Chaim with a beautiful story 
that I was privileged to hear from the current Sanza Rebbe of Netanya. What happened was that uh, Rebbe Yashiv um, had, lo- had lost his daughter. It's going back a bunch of years. Rebbe Yashiv Shalom Yashiv, the great Paisik in Yerushalayim. He had lost his daughter, or the wife of Rebbe Zriel Oyerbach, which was Rebbe Yashiv's daughter. And he was sitting Shiva. Uh, Rebbe Yashiv's son, Rebbe Yashiv, Yashiv, is one of my one of my Rebbeim, and I'm very close with him, and related to me, kind of. So, so I went to Menachem of Rebbe Yashiv's son. I didn't, I didn't really know Rebbe Yashiv Senior, you know, and I'm not going to go to Menachem Avel, but his son, I was very close with. So I went to to be Menachem Avel him. Now, Rebbe Yashiv in his later years was almost deaf, so you had to yell and scream if you wanted him to hear you. So while I'm with Rebbe Yashiv Yashiv on the other side of the room, the Tzanzer Rebbe from the Tanya came to be Menachem Avel Rebbe Yashiv Senior. And since he was screaming so loud into Rebel Yashiv's ear, so he would hear him, so I overheard the story, even though he wasn't talking to me, but I couldn't help but hear it, because he was screaming so loud. And the story that he told Rebel Yashiv was as follows. He said that his ancestor, the Divrei Chaim, lost a few children, lost at least two, I think, maybe possibly more, which is a terrible personal tragedy, which Rebel Yashiv was then experiencing. He had lost a child. And uh, the Rechaim lost these children when they were young, when they were children. A terrible tragedy. And everyone was impressed in Sanz with, with how the Rechaim was able to continue to rehabilitate himself, to go back to his normal routine without showing signs of, of uh, despair. And, and people were amazed by it. And one of the people asked him, how are you able to continue? You lost a child. It's such a terrible personal tragedy. How are you able to get up and be able to move along after sustaining such a uh, such a tragedy? And the Devei Chaim said as follows. He said, uh, you know, I'll give you a mushal. I'll tell you a parable. I was walking in the streets of Tzanz, and I usually say over the story when we're walking in the streets of Tzanz towards the shul, and uh, to make it more real, and hopefully we'll get back there soon. He said, I was walking in the streets of Sons, and all of a sudden I felt a whack on my back. A terrible pain. And I'm thinking to myself, who's causing me this terrible pain? Who's beating me and hitting me on my back? And I turn around and I see it's Yankel. Yankel, my friend. I say, Yankel, my friend, <laughs> that doesn't hurt. That's not painful. Yankel, when he says hello, he likes to give a, a friendly pat on the back, and his friendly pats are pretty strong. They're pretty intense. They're pretty powerful. But it's not painful, because I see it's Yankel. Yankel saying hello doesn't hurt that much. He says, that's really what happened. I was walking through the streets of Tzanz, and I felt a whack on my back. My child passed away. My child was taken from me. And I said to myself, who's causing me such pain? Who's hitting me on the back, taking away my child? And I turn around, and I saw the Rabbeinu Shalom. I saw God. And he was saying hello. And sometimes when God says hello, we may not know why, but God says hello in all types of ways. But if it's God just saying hello, then that doesn't hurt anymore. That's not so painful. That's Him saying hello. So that was the Divrei Chaim. This is Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, tours and trips to places of Jewish history. Stay safe and healthy. Subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. uh, Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.